The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they all saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. So how to think about God? Everybody thinks about God. You watch George Lucas's Star Wars. He has the force, right? And you just have to know how to get into the force and use it. Nothing personal. The force just does what the force does. Pantheism, there's a way to think about God. That everything is conscience. Don't you think it's odd that we're conscious? Not only that we're conscious but that we can come up with mathematics to explain relationships in the physical world around us? Isn't that weird? Rocks don't do it. But pantheists would suggest that consciousness is, well, throughout reality. And so in the ancient world, in the enchanted world, trees had consciousness. I mean, there is Yggdrasil, that was the tree for the Norse whose root system tied to every single other tree throughout the world, Yggdrasil. It was the remnants of this pantheistic way of looking at reality. You still see it in some of the pagan cults. Well, to how to think about God. Look at what's Dominated and ask yourself when people talk about what's important in the world, how are they thinking about ultimate reality? Because how we think about God is more about how we think. Because God really ultimately is unknowable unless God tells us something about himself. If God's just another subject like chemistry or biology... I mean, we can dissect chimpanzees and learn something, right? But God has no body. You can only learn about God in a personal way. I mean, Jane Goodall learned some things about chimpanzees and never cut one of them up. Others kill them, and then they learn something about what their stomachs look like, how their digestive tracts work, all that kind of stuff. Which tells you more about chimpanzees? They both tell you something, right? But the idea of a God that's not a force, that's not nature, but is deeply personal. And so you look at the Greeks and the Romans, and they're not atypical. It goes throughout the world. They had different layers. If you read their plays, their literature, because nobody ever does a catechism about ancient religion. You pick it up from the Greek playwrights, the Roman playwrights, what the philosophers say, the Iliad, the Odyssey, these kinds of things. But three different aspects, basically. They're called the Uranian gods. 
Uranus was the sky, Gaia is the earth. You still hear about Gaia, right? Yes, you do. You don't hear anything about Uranus, except there's a planet named after him that nobody ever looks at because it doesn't have rings. But Uranus rained on Gaia, and that's where the Titans came from. And then that's, the Titans came from an act of violence, killing a Titan, and from his seed sprung up the Olympian gods. So the Uranian gods are something about the origin of the world. The Olympian gods are, well, Zeus is the son of Kronos, who was time, a titan. It's all these different layers about how you get to things. And so if you look at Greek mythology, which is really interesting to read, ideological myths, where does coral come from? Perseus, one of the gods, killed Medusa, the Gorgon, took her head, which has snakes, and accidentally, it was an accident, showed it to some ivy, turned it to stone, and that's where coral comes from. Are you willing to accept that? Because apparently there was a time when people did. And so the gods weren't the most powerful, though. Even the Uranian gods weren't the most powerful. If you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, even the gods are subject to fate. The gods aren't free. There is something above the Uranian and the Olympian gods that determines where things are going. Fate. Even Zeus couldn't fight fate. He wanted in the Iliad to spare his son Sarpedon, who was a demigod, from death. But he couldn't. He held up his scales. Sarpedon's got to go. The fates decree it. So you can be an Olympian god, but it's not how we think about God, is it? Because you have to understand how the world thinks about God so that when Christianity cracks open Judaism and takes out the Old Testament God into the world with the message that there is one God, three divine persons, that this somehow makes the modern world possible. How? Well, the first thing is, is what the Jews knew. God wasn't the world. There was nothing in the world that was God. You couldn't worship anything in the world because then you'd be making it God. How do you know it? Because in chapter 1, verse 1, God creates the world. His word says, let there be light. His spirit plays across the dark abyss. And in those first few lines of Genesis, you have a creator, you have the creator's breath, and you have the creator's word. Now to a Christian, what does that sound like? God the Father is the creator. God the Son is the divine logos, the word. And the Holy Spirit is God's breath. But that's not how the Old Testament understood it. But in the New Testament, when the writers look back on it, like in the second reading from St. Paul, we call God Abba, Father, not Daddy. It's familiar, but not Daddy. It's relational. And his breath and his son 
Because devout Jews like Paul are wrestling with, how can Jesus be God if there's one God? What's it mean that the Spirit is God? This takes a while. It's how we get to the Trinity. You will not find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible, right? The Trinity is what's called a hermeneutic. A hermeneutic's how you walk into the Bible and look at it. Well, think about it. Hermeneutics run everything. What you expect is what you end up finding. And so if you know that you left a red jar of pickled beets on the shelf and you're looking for that red jar and you don't see it, it's not there. Okay, well, the label actually was blue. And you just missed it because you weren't looking for that. It's how our imagination sets us up to see more deeply into the world or not. I would say with modern science. If everything is controlled by magic or alchemy, and Christianity wrestled with that for years, because it was the dominant worldview, how do you get that you can explain the world's math, that the world operates on its own? We don't decide really how chemicals interact. There's just something in them and this is what they do and it's not God it's because in the beginning God said let there be light and then God created everything now that's a different understanding of God so Thomas Aquinas when he was a little kid wanted to know what God was as he was preparing for dying he still wanted to know what God was because when we talk about God, we say God is Father, Son, God is Holy Spirit, Creator, the Spirit of life, God's presence on the planet, God's presence in material reality. Because God does not have a body to cut apart. You can only know God by what God does. God's self-revelation. And so the Trinity. Can I give you the image of how you look at God and how you interact with God. It's all around you, but I don't know that you ever think about it. Have you looked over here at our Holy Family image? So, in our understanding, when we write this, because think of that as a discourse on who God is. There's a little kid, and he's got a gold plate on his head. We know it's a halo, right? A nimbus. And that is a symbol of divinity. So if that's a symbol of divinity, why do two human beings have it also? Why when you look at all the stained glass windows or every bit of Christian art that you see, that human beings have the same sign of divinity that Jesus has? That's a good question, isn't it? Go through the ancient world, you're not going to find it. In the beginning... God said, let there be light. And so, a nimbus is light. Here's how we look instinctively at that picture. Jesus is the source of that light. Mary and Joseph reflect it. Why do we think like that? Because in chapter 1, it says, the human being was made in the image of God. We are not the light. We don't make up reality. 
We just have to learn how to deal with it. And reality is interactive because God is a person. And so Mary and Joseph reflect the light that comes through Christ. Even when we talk about the Immaculate Conception, which we will celebrate on December 8th again, we all say by virtue of Jesus' crucifixion, Mary is made holy. It's why if you look at Matthew, when Jesus dies, the dead in the cemeteries around Jerusalem come back to life. Because it's not causality we think like we think of it. Spirituality is not causality as it is in chemistry. But it is the light of God coming into the world in a different way and raising the dead. How do you participate like that in the life of God? Well, if you went to our second grade class, they would instinctively say, hopefully, the sacraments, right? The word of God. But how about one of the most neglected parts in our life where you really can't go to heaven unless you pray to God because prayer is your relationship with God. Think about it like this. The Trinitarian nature of prayer and how it leads you into participation in who God is. I said Thomas Aquinas, as a child, wanted to know what God was. Just before he died, he still wanted to know. But knowing, in the sense like you could observe chimpanzees out in the wilderness or you could dissect chimpanzees, you can find corollaries to theology. But observing interacting, this is what prayer is. So do you want to participate in God in the way that Jesus opened the door for you? Well, he told you what to do, right? Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you pray in the words that he taught you, if you could do just what kids do, you learn something about how to talk to God, how to pray to God, how you interact with God. God is your father, not like a father, he is your father. That's why Jesus says in the gospels, do you remember? I'll give you mothers and brothers and sisters. He never says he'll give you another father because everybody has the same one, the same source. But God is not this place, but God is in a place called heaven. But as we know from the ascension, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, he didn't leave us. That's why we celebrate mass. All right, I agree. This is not mathematics. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's true. Because God is both in heaven and here, especially when we pray. And so... Forgive us our trespasses because God is merciful. And when we are merciful with each other, we are like God. Give us this day our daily bread because we are dependent on God. This last year should have demonstrated that. We have great powers, especially in science. But nature is still nature every day. And we just have to learn how to interact in a respectful way. And so thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What makes God present in this world? When you act 
as his image and likeness. You reflect his holiness in the world. Or think about the Hail Mary. What's the first line of the Hail Mary? Hail Mary, full of grace. It's Gabriel's line to Mary when she conceives. And so when the church teaches us to pray, pray like a messenger of God, because that's what an angel is. Angelos is messenger. You pray in the words of an angel. Or the next one was... um, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth's words, a prophet, John the Baptist, dances. And so the idea that you have to make it up for yourself, it has to be completely unique to be yours. Well, you are in the image and likeness of God. And when someone says to you, there's a lot of different ways to God, say, you're right. Last counting today, there's something like over 8 billion different routes to God because there's eight, more than eight billion people on the planet, unless I got the numbers wrong. The last prayer, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It's about the song of praise that we all sing together. Why is it important how you think about God? You can think about God as a distant God, like the Iranian God, that got everything going. He's a really, you can use him as an explanation uh, for how everything came to be, like showing the Medusa's head to the vine and it turns into coral. You can do that with the Genesis story. You can use God any way that you want. He allows that to happen. But it's just not the truth. The truth is nothing here is God. We were made to understand it. You're also made to be in relationship with God. Because in a very important way, we're the connection between this world and the divine. Because we see reality in a moral sense. We see truth in things. It's why we do art and poetry and literature and religion. So when we're talking about the most holy trinity... We're talking about how our interior life interacts with the world that we did not create and transforms both, for better or for worse. Because in the Trinity, we've been made responsible. We've been made part of creation. We've been made to take care of creation. And so... All of these things about responsibility. Because what we do really does matter. Fate doesn't really determine us. Although our death is coming, you could think of faith like that. But what we do now, between now and then with it, that's all our choice. And it's what makes all the difference. And so the Feast of the Holy Trinity is how to think about God. And why, how you think about God has so much to do with the choices you make in this one life that you get.